This episode of Bushwick's Breakaway has three sponsors. The first, it is the Reddit Sweet Meetup, October 13th versus the Oilers and Connor McDavid. If you are interested in tickets, message us on our Reddit thread. Uh, there are limited tickets left. Greg will be going. Our good friend Dan hosts it every year. Always a blast. Uh, if you're interested, hit us up. The second, Empirical Designs. Our good friend Nick did our logo, did our t-shirts, and is a, is a real help to the podcast. If you are in need of any design work, let me know or let Nick know at EmpiricalDesigns.net. And he will be the one to hook you up. Nick has worked for a ton of awesome companies. Definitely check out his portfolio. You will not be disappointed. And as always, our Patreon subscribers could not do it without you. Let's get to the episode. Hockey is back. Hey, Bushwick Breakaway fans, welcome to another week of the Bushwick Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead. I am here with my co-host, as always, in the flesh, but yet not, Greg Kaplan. Greg, say hello. I'm somewhere, doing something with somebody. With me, together, forever. Uh, Yeah, so, Rangers preseason starts tonight. We're recording during the first game, just so everyone knows, because that's what we like to do. To timestamp ourselves, Quenville just scored, so it's 2-1 Devils, but how about Leas, baby? Mr. Leas Anderson. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be – it's good to have hockey back, even though I'm not watching and I'm recording, but I will watch a lot of the highlights, I'm assuming, afterwards. Uh, It's it's that time of year where I can't believe we're like three weeks away from – the opening of the season, and I'm going to have hockey in my life again. It just feels like we were months away, like two days ago. And now- I had this conversation with our good buddy Jeff uh, today, actually, because the NHL offseason both feels like it's never ending, but then preseason creeps on, creeps up on you like, what the fuck is this? What is this? What is hockey? Why are we playing hockey? It's still September. And since we didn't you know, make a deep playoff run, actually, we didn't make one at all. Uh, I feel like this is the longest I've gone without hockey in a long time, so it feels sort of extra long, but yet these hockey news bursts come in like wildfire. We actually have our friend Matthew Estevez on later to talk about the Iserman uh, retirement, but we also talk about Carlson then too, but the Carlson getting traded to the Sharks trade, uh, that is an absolute, like, would you say history-defining moment in the NHL? That's one that will be remembered for forever, right? Uh, I, I don't know. We'll We'll get into Carlson. Uh, before we go any further, since everyone has probably watched the preseason game before they're listening to this podcast, uh, I just want to make a couple notes about this lineup. Obviously, we're not going to go too deep into it because we're recording during the game, and we'll talk more about it next week when we have a bunch of games under our belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a little disappointed Leas didn't get the start between Kreider and Buchnevich, but I also understand it. At the same time, I am happy Leas is playing with Lindquist and Foss, because I, I truly believe that's going to be the Rangers' fourth line on opening night. So I think that is a positive. Uh, and I will read too much into the fact that it's Tony D'Angelo and not Neil Pionk getting the start alongside Mark Stahl. Yeah, um, I think... It, I, would, I, I would guess both are going to play with Stahl during camp, because I think it's one of them will end up playing with Stahl on opening night. But I, I will be the guy reading way too much into it. I Look, I tweeted it out this morning. I'm going to overreact to a first play, preseason hockey game. Uh, I think it does mean something that D'Angelo got the opening assignment with Stahl and not Pionk, who is instead playing with Lindgren, who clearly is going to be ticketed for Hartford to begin the season. Absolutely. Uh, and, and maybe that's even, even a, a say about Pionk, where you could say maybe uh, – 
I want to read too far into it. I want to wait for camp. I was going to say maybe they well, think Pionk is AHL bound too, and that's one of the reasons they probably signed McQuaid. Uh, they traded him, first of all. Sorry. I, uh, second, second, it's, it's a point that we haven't brought up on this podcast before because I think in a perfect world, you and I agree that both Pionk and D'Angelo would be in the lineup on opening night. But there's D'Angelo has an inherent advantage over Pionk to make the team because D'Angelo would have to go through waivers if the Rangers want to send him to Hartford, whereas Pionk does not. Pionk, you can just correct. send down and call, recall him at any time you want. The Rangers risk losing D'Angelo for nothing if he doesn't make this team. So I think I, I would assume, like any good organization would, they would give D'Angelo every opportunity to, to succeed, knowing that if he fails, that's it, he's done. Well, yes, because like you said, the putting him on waivers is the problem. That he'll right. he, he will not pass. I, I do. I, well, at least I do not believe he would pass through. And I, I get I get that people still don't like D'Angelo's game. I'm not here to say he's like a bona fide top four defenseman. I just don't know what we have yet. I, and, and he's still only 22. You take chances on youth. It's not like D'Angelo's a 25-year-old who's been through the ringer and hasn't done anything in the NHL. Yes, he's been around a long time, but that's because he was good at 18. If D'Angelo, he's 22 years old, that's still... I don't think you need to figure out your entire NHL game by your 22nd birthday. The whole point of the season is to figure out what you have. And that's why that's why uh, I know everyone says that D'Angelo will be down in the AHL, and I just don't see it. I just think you you have to find out what you have with D'Angelo this year, and the way you're going to do that is by playing him at the NHL level as much as possible. And I, I do think it matters that the Rangers are a little bit more invested in D'Angelo than they are Pionk. Pionk was an unsigned NCAA free agent that the Rangers picked up, and they're going to be – extremely thrilled if he turns into a real NHL piece and it sure does look like he will. But at the end of the day, you got two pieces back for Derek Stepan and Antiranta and you, you, you need D'Angelo to turn something. It doesn't matter just how good Leah Sanderson could be as a 19 year old. You're still invested in D'Angelo as well. And you need him to become something. I know you can't, you can't look at it like the sunk cost fallacy, you know, like you, you, right. you have to see if you get something out of him. If you if you're rebuilding again, there's gonna there's no better situation in this world for Tony D'Angelo to try and figure out if he's an NHL player than playing for a Ranger team that is not going to make the playoffs, and you can just figure out which defenseman sinkers win. That's it. Uh, I guess we should talk when, about McQuaid then. Yeah, because I my initial reaction to the trade was a bit knee jerk. I would admit. Um, so let's go through the positives and the negatives of the McQuaid trade. The positives. Nine-year veteran from the from the Boston area didn't seem too thrilled to be a Ranger uh, during his little introduction. You're going from cup contender to no, seriously, we're trying to be bad, especially defensively. Yes, Um, I can see that. the 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 McQuaid positives to me are pretty obvious. First of all, this is a Rangers team that is preaching character, right? And everything we've read about Adam McQuaid is this guy is phenomenal in the locker room. Veteran defenseman will help take some of the younger guys under his wing. We'll show them both how to play properly and how to handle themselves on the NHL level. He's another guy that you can say is the quote-unquote extension of the coaching staff type addition. Uh, right-handed defenseman always has value in the NHL because teams are always looking for right-handed defensemen. Uh, the, outside of the locker room stuff, that it's a guy if that if the Rangers eat half his salary, you can – the Rangers will get a draft pick better than the fourth round pick they gave up. Um, especially at the deadline. We I mean, Nick Holden got a third rounder last year, guys. Teams always want defensemen at the deadline, especially depth defensemen. See, that, that was sort of my take on this. This was uh 
a give back for the Nick Holden trade. Like, oh, we'll give you the third for Nick Holden, but we're going to give you McQuaid later, and you give us a fourth. Yeah, I mean, my my initial fear, it wasn't even fear. My initial gripe was, cool, the Rangers just up basically upgraded 10 slots from their fourth-round pick to some team's contending third-round pick. Like, it's not going to be that significant of a jump because, again, the Rangers are going to be bad. They're probably going to get a top somewhere, a pick in the fourth round that will fall fifth or ninth. So, really, you're moving up from, say, eighth to in the fourth round to 28th in the third round. Yes, you're moving up, but is it really that significant? Usually at that point in the draft, you're kind of just targeting guys you like anyway. You're just drafting off your board, and everybody's board is different. But I, I guess that's that was splitting hairs. I mean, moving up is moving up. The Rangers will get that pick back. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the greatest part of this trade, Steve Camper, not a Ranger anymore. That's phenomenal. Let's I'm give all it for up. That. Let's give it up for Mr. Camper, who uh, really was a true pleasure to joy enjoy to watch as a New York Ranger. Gotta say, I'm gonna miss you, buddy. It's gonna be real tough here without you. Who Who did you hate more, Steve Camper or Nick Holden? Uh, Camper. See, I, feel- I think it's Holden because Holden Holden was getting opportunities on the. Like, at least Camper was getting scratched, right? Oh, I felt bad for Holden because he's not a first-pairing defenseman, and we played him as such. And Steve Camper just isn't an NHL defenseman? Yes. he okay. <laughs> the, Like, Nick Holden could play on the third line, not for the Bruins or the Rangers, but for some team. I mean, Holden could play on the Rangers' third line this year for he, sure. He absolutely could, but... Uh, and, and I actually wouldn't mind having Holden here on the third line. I mean, I would, I would, I, I would for the for the purpose of development, development. but I which mean, is the negative to McQuaid that we're going to get to. That's correct. That's where I'm kind of where I was going. But Holden, in general, I didn't. I don't feel bad. I, I didn't feel bad. he was good. Like he was good where he was on the third line. That's it. That was his spot was just, where, where he should have been. Him next to Ryan McDonough. And they kept playing him as a winger every single night. He's on the wing again. Yeah, I, I, I see that. I get that. I guess any any grievances you have with Nick Holden are kind of tied to Elaine Vino at that point yeah, in time. Yeah, it's more too. AV hate. Camford just couldn't play hockey. God bless him. <laughs> Camp, Camford just isn't an NHL player. <laughs> he just couldn't do uh, it. Yeah, that does bring us to the negatives of the Adam McQuaid trade. And I guess that was my initial problem with the deal because Adam McQuaid will take a spot away from someone. So the question is, who is he taking the spot away from? And as the aforementioned, D'Angelo and Pionk are the two guys that are going to lose a spot. One of them will not be in the opening night lineup, I would think, because Adam McQuaid will be. And to a lesser extent, uh, it it also puts your boy Brandon Smith in jeopardy a little bit. Yeah, and I don't don't like that because I'm all aboard this Brandon Smith hype train. I I just feel like I've read some good things. Uh, I I can't wait to see him play this season. We'll, We'll see what he brings to the table. But... To have McQuaid here, like if Brendan Smith's the guy sitting, that's another investment I want to see if I can if I can turn around and get value back on, uh, because that you got three more years of Brendan Smith. You're signing four point five million, so you better start enjoying that. Yeah, and uh, this would be a different conversation if we considered the Rangers contenders. If the Rangers were true contenders, you and I would be the first ones on this podcast saying, "Doesn't fucking matter how much money you owe Brandon Smith, play the best six defensemen, and that's fine." But the Rangers aren't contenders. Nope. So at this point, there should be only two goals for this season. One is see what you have in the kids, see which kids you think can stick immediately, which kids needs more time, where you can improve, what are the long-term holes to fill, yada, yada. And then the second goal is get as much value as possible as you can for your veterans. And the only way you're going to get more value out of Brandon Smith is by throwing him out there and playing him every night, Uh, making sure to figure out if it was just a one-year blip in his 
in his NHL career or if Brandon Smith is just cooked. Just give him 25 games regardless of how he does in those 25 games and see if he sink or swims. Because like, like you said, you're invested in the three years anyway. You already know that you can pass him through waivers without anyone claiming him. Why not try and establish some value in him? And McQuaid, who again, I mean, to as we've discussed, there, there's a part of acquiring McQuaid that just becomes long-term investment in, the ter- in, in terms of the Rangers will get a draft pick for him at some point in time. But if Brandon Smith turns his career around, you should be able to get better draft picks for Brandon Smith if you want to trade him. Or more importantly, Brandon Smith is still young enough to be part of the next good Ranger team. And you have him for the next three years, so you should be focusing on making sure that you're getting something out of Brandon Smith. And I don't think McQuaid complicates Smith so much that we need to truly be worried about that. But it complicates it enough where we should talk about it, and that's what we're doing. Right. And, that, and I just feel like Pionk is automatically the odd man out. I'm not a big fan of it. but I, Yeah, I, 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 really, I don't like it either. I, I, I went into this whole thing just assuming Pionk. I th- honestly thought Pionk's role on the roster was safer than D'Angelo's. So it's, it's odd now that the presence of McQuaid has flip-flopped that for me, but it really comes it, to this to this point, it really comes down to roster manipulation where, well, now you again, lose, you're losing a spot for him. So the top line is going to be Shaddy Shea. Yes, pretty yep, yeah, at, pretty easy to do that. And then after that, you're going to have Stahl. Uh, you might have Stahl D'Angelo, D'Angelo and then Smith McQuaid. Smith McQuaid. I mean, but I'd rather play Pionk at that point. You know, I just, that's a guy well, I'd, ra- I I'd rather see what, I'd rather see what Pionk could do with either Stahl or Smith than Adam McQuaid. We know exactly what Adam McQuaid's going to do. He, he'll be he'll be fine. Uh, there will be moments where you and I would be like, man, it's really frustrating that any frustration we'll have with Adam McQuaid being a lineup will simply be because we know he's not here for long. I don't think it's going to be because Adam McQuaid is a dumpster fire of an NHL defenseman. No, he's not. He's not. And he's, I read, he's a third-pairing yeah. defenseman or a seventh defenseman, and some team will give us a third-round pick for that. Well, but that, that's at the, the same time, in the dream. Yeah, but at the same time, it, it's just it, it truly is frustrating that while the Rangers are going through this rebuild and we've been talking so much about how the Rangers need to be giving the kids as much time as possible, and hell, even David David Quinn comes out and says if, a, if the kids overperform in training camp, they'll get spots. It doesn't matter if there's a veteran in front of them. The Rangers go out and add a veteran complication. That, that's what really Adam McQuaid is at the end of the day. He is, he is a guy here that complicates – the equation for opening night in maybe an unnecessary way. Like it, it goes back to it. Am I, I'm not crying over the fact that the Rangers traded a fourth round pick, but is it that beneficial to the Rangers to essentially move up 10 to 15 spots from the fourth round to the third round than it is to just give development time to Pionk and D'Angelo in the NHL? Yeah. Like, does that, does that benefit outweigh just figuring out what you have and i don't know if it does i really don't i at the end of the day it, it's not a trade where you and i should be like oh it's fucking terrible this is a terrible move by the rangers what are they thinking i i see exactly what the rangers are thinking i personally would have done something different i just why i i i'm if you've listened to this podcast before you know i'm big on all in development and all in embracing the tank and getting everyone's feet wet as much as possible now, with McQuay, though, he does bring something that uh, I think the team was lacking, and that's grit, Greg. Every single thing I read about McQuaid what, from the Boston subreddit and uh, also the hockey reddit was Boston fans that were actually kind of upset that they lost McQuaid. So he must, He's not afraid to get dirty. He must, you know, he, he apparently he's a big fighter. 
So I think, uh, and we've said on this podcast before, Cody McLeod, not exactly the best uh, defender of the team, yet re-signed it. Don't ask me why, because I cannot answer you. But this could be a guy that maybe you could bring that, that quote-unquote toughness to this team to be a little old school, and maybe that's what Quinn wants. And, and let me say this. If Adam McQuaid in any way, shape, or form helps keep Cody McLeod out of the lineup, let's go. it's a, it's a positive. Huge, huge win for the guy. If, if Adam McQuaid's presence on the defense allows the Rangers to roster either Michael Lindquist or uh, Ville Meskinen on opening night, that's a positive. Uh, at the same time, I would hope the Ranger organization was smart enough where that shouldn't even be part of the equation. Like, there's just no reason to have Cody McLeod on this roster. And therefore, it, there's no reason to use Adam McQuaid as the reason for why Cody McLeod is not going to be on this roster. You could live in a world where both of them aren't on your roster and everything's fine. Uh, at the end of the day, I, I would I would characterize the McQuaid trade as I get the vision. I personally would have would not have subscribed to this one. With you. We will move on to the Carlson trade. A hell of a trade. Uh, and as I said earlier, an era-defining trade. We do talk about this with our friend uh, Matthew Estevez in a few minutes here coming up. But uh, what were your reactions, Greg, as soon as it happened? I went to a meeting and I came out and Twitter was on fire. Uh, not surprised he went to the Sharks. Stunned that it cost the Sharks nothing, basically. Do you know what my get... favorite thing written on Twitter uh, was after this? Was uh, the Sharks... At the before the Carlson trade had two players on the top 100 prospect list. After the trade, the Sharks have two players on the top 100 <laughs> prospect list. Yeah, it's the 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 Senators got essentially the um, Sharks' third and fourth prospects, who are a rather significant step down from who their one and number two prospects are. Uh, I tried to think of a Ranger equivalent for this trade, like I did the Pacioretty deal. Um, and it, it's hard to find it because it's it's a little awkward where uh, – so the two NHL pieces that the Sharks traded were Chris Tierney and Dylan DeMello. And Tierney is a middle six, more likely third-line center, who I think is a little worse than Kevin Hayes or definitely just doesn't have the same kind of untapped potential that Hayes currently has. So you can say that – in a way, if the Rangers were to include, say, Kevin Hayes in the trade instead of Chris Tierney, they wouldn't have to give up a defender like Dylan DeMello. At the same time, the Rangers didn't really have a Dylan DeMello, a, a young-ish, lower-pairing defenseman who could, in a pinch, play in the second pairing. So already, if you're trying to rangerify this deal, it's looking like you're trading Hayes and Pionk before you even get to the prospects. But then at the same time, when you get to the prospects, neither of the guys traded are as good as Brett Howden. Oh, no. Like, if you're the Rangers and you're able to trade Hayes and Pionk, and then you'd have to trade a prospect that we're not even talking about Howden or Hayek, uh, uh, you're doing it. Yeah, and, <laughs> you're, you're, you're and I'll it. be honest with you, Greg, I'd do that this year, even though we're rebuilding. Like, yeah, sure. I, yeah. Like, I, why not? I, I think the, the prospect equivalents that the Sharks traded, if it's not, it, it's probably like Ryan Lindgren and Ville Meskinen. Cool. And look, I, I got to tell you, if you're trading Kevin Hayes, Neil Pionk, Ryan Lindgren, and Billy Meskinen for Eric Carlson, yeah, you, you're doing it, buddy. Even for a year of Eric Carlson, just to try. Like, why not try? That guy beat the Rangers on one foot, everyone. Don't know if you remember, but you probably do. Yeah, and it's it's also that that package of players doesn't blow up the rebuild. 
the the part that they're honestly the part of the trade that the Rangers would have had the most hesitation in is anything draft pick related because even with Carlson, it's still probably a bad team. Um, so the Rangers probably would have haggled over a first round pick and how many conditional picks that they throw in there. But it, it doesn't seem to matter because the Senators sure look like a team that never wanted to trade him in the Eastern Conference, which it. is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard of in my life. I just life. don't get it. Why wouldn't you go for maximum return value? You just want- if you're trading Carlson, you're admitting that it's going to be a long time until you're good again. So it doesn't fucking matter if he's spending the next eight years in Tampa because for two or three of those years, guess what? You're going to be fucking terrible. Yeah, you're not even going to sniff the playoffs. What are you even worried about? And, by, and, and your rebuild doesn't start next year, by the way. Because you lost your first round draft pick. Yes, and <laughs> that's the other part of this trade. Like you can get the the Senators can trade for as many first round draft picks as they want. None of the picks they acquire are going to be as good as the number one overall pick, which is what just going to the Avalanche because they traded for Matt Duchesne. Oh, man, what a life! And also, if if you're a contending team right now, right this second, and you see that that's all it took to get Eric Carlson, how are you not calling the Senators and asking them for Mark Stone? Oh, because Stone or, is or Duchesne, by the way. Yes, to a lesser extent. Stone, I, I would rather have Stone than Duchesne for sure. That's fair. Um, and that's not even a knock on Duchesne. I just think Stone's a special player. Like Everyone's talking about Artemi Panarin, and we talk a lot about him on this podcast. Well, that's what we do. Because we review the Blue Jackets and all that good stuff. Uh, and I'm not saying that Mark Stone is a one-to-one comparison to Artemi Panarin, but I don't think the drop-off is as steep as some would believe it to be. And the Senators just got a poo-poo platter for Eric Carlson. So if that's all it takes to get Carlson, it's not going to take that much more to get Stone, who's a free agent after the end of this year. The Senators aren't going to pay him either. It doesn't make sense for Stone to stick around in Ottawa, not if they're doing a long-term rebuild. It doesn't make sense for Ottawa to take him all the way to July 1. So they have to trade him. And if you're a team in need of a top-line winger, Mark Stone looks mighty good right now, and you could probably get him for a first round pick six cents on the dollar. And a couple of your prospects that you won't ever pan out. Sounds good. Oh God. I'm just frust- I'm frustrated for Ottawa. That's how sad it is. I'm just like- as, a, as a fan of the New York Mets, I look at the Ottawa Senators and go, Thank God I got the Wilpons. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the Wilpons have never done an awkward seven down a seven minute sit down video that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, the only- that's, that's the other thing. The Mets are not good at public relations. And even the Mets know, like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> that this is – this is that would be – the Met equivalent of that interview with uh, Boriecki is like if uh, – oh, holy shit. I got to think of someone. It's like if they took Jeff McNeil, even though Jeff McNeil's been oh, good. Jeff McNeil's good. That's, that's not Jeff, fair to Jeff, Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil's actually good. It's not, it's not a good a – good, uh, It would, it would be like the, Met, the Mets taking Austin Jackson and having him sit down with Jeff Wilpon and be like – Let's talk about the future of this organization. Yeah, yeah, no, pretty bad. Oh, geez. Okay, last topic I want to touch to before we get to both of our interviews today with Ryan Real and also Matthew Steves of uh, covering Tampa. Not not in the Metro, but we're talking about the Yzerman. The old Yzermans, uh the escape of Yzerman from Tampa, I'll put it that way. And then... Future Detroit Red Wing, great. And then, yeah, future Detroit Red Wing. And then we also have uh, Ryan Real talk Columbus Blue Jackets with us. Uh, over the weekend, there was a big scare. That's a bit of Jad who had a concussion. I got a million messages and told everyone to relax. He lost his he lost the ability to breathe for a second, and they got the wind knocked out of him, and that's fine. He's fine, guys. It's okay. I, I, I get I get I get the freak out because one, you never want to see any of your 
very good players getting hurt, let alone on like the first and weekend of training camp. And especially by your own other uh, by other people that aren't going to be playing on the team, like Joey. Cooper. Right, and and you 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 jump to attention a little bit more when it's Zibanejad because you know of how many head problems he's had concussion wise throughout his career. So anytime Zibanejad takes a hit, it's hard not to think of that injury history. At the same time, this is exactly why you wait to hear from the coach before freaking out because. Sometimes what looks minor is actually serious and what looks serious is actually minor. And in this instance, he got the wind knocked out of him. And the Rangers doing the right thing, keeping him out of the preseason game tonight. No fucking reason to put him on the ice after getting dinged. He was out there today. He had no problems today. And everything's fine, guys. Let's let's not freak out because a reporter tweeted, Zibanejad left the ice. We'll find out more later. Let, let's see what happens when we find out more. You can freak out when we find out more. If, if it's worthy of being freaking out. Yeah, but, it's, I know we're all, like, on on the edge, ready to jump off a cliff. But we can just wait, like, five minutes. Let's just find out what happened. That's all. No big deal. Yep. All no right. big deal. Let's move over to our interviews. Uh, transition. Hey, we're back with all, one of our, our favorite resident Tampa Bay expert. We have Matthew Estevez, not a Steve's, from Raw Charge. Matthew, what's up, man? I'm good, Ryan. How are you, bud? Uh, I'm good. Greg's also here with me. He's a little, like, on the zombie side. Greg? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, he's here. That's good. Uh, oh, so, I know. It's a, I'm, surpri- I'm surprised at you. Um, here's the thing. There was you, – you have this good GM. He was regarded as or still is regarded as the probably the best GM in the league. Is that true? Um, I mean, well, if you want to call him a GM, he's technically a senior, senior advisor now. Well, yeah, now he's a senior advisor. He out of nowhere said he was stepping down from the Tampa Bay Lightning role. And I think that in a very eventful 72 hours of, of hockey news, that was one of the highlights other than the Carlson – uh, I want to hear like what your reaction was as someone who covers the team and is close to the team, uh, and, and just and just go through what the hell happened. So, my, our editor at Raw Charge, Alan, he's a, a very even keeled guy. He doesn't overly get super excited or super down. Uh, he, he's kind of like just you know conscious of the blog. He very rarely curses unless something really gets under his skin. And when when Joe Smith, the guy who re- broke the news about Eiserman's uh, resignation. He, he posted in Slack for the entire blog to see. He's like, what the fuck is this? And we, were, we, all, we all stopped what we were doing, and we're like, what? <laughs> what? And then, like, 10 minutes later, the press, the press release comes out that they're going to have a press conference. And I'm like, I'm leaving class right now. I'm changing. I will be there. And I had, like, an hour and a half to drive 30 minutes from campus to home, shower, get dressed in something halfway decent, and get to this damn press conference so I can actually figure out what the fuck was going on. But everyone was like, what the fuck just happened? It, there was an out-of-nowhere announcement, for sure. And the funny thing is, there seems like two foregone conclusions that come from it already. One, it's only a matter of time until Steve Eiserman is now the GM of the Detroit Red Wings. It just feels like that's everywhere it's going. And two, I don't want to assume anything, but uh sure does feel like Eiserman resigned because he couldn't get Eric Carlson. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Okay, the second one I want to call bullshit on. The first one I think is uh, it's it's going to be speculated, especially after this season. Eiserman reiterated throughout the entire press conference and and in one-on-one interviews that he was driven by family. He could he he um, during his entire time in Tampa, he commuted from Michigan, from where his family was. He's got three daughters, two in the twenties, one I believe is like eighteen or nineteen or something like that. And the drag of them, and probably the drag of his wife as well, was really bearing on him, and he was getting tired of the travel. That I can understand. Eisenberg's always been a stand-up guy, always been very honest with all of us. Uh, so that I believe. 
But when it comes to what's after this season, it's entirely plausible in my opinion. I know he said before that he doesn't want to work for Chris Illich, but at the same point, you know, stuff like that can be smoothed over through a variety of ways. So money, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised, but as of right now, he's with us at least for this season. Beyond that, he said, we'll see, which you can take that 5,000 billion ways you want. Do you feel like he's staying on? Do you feel like he's staying on the season just to be like, okay, this is our best chance to win a cup. I'll win the cup. It'll be my team. Then I'll go to Detroit. No, he's staying. He's staying because his contract. That's why he still has one year left in his contract that we know of. Um, and he's going to finish that out, and then from there, if he likes his role with the Lightning, then he's left the door open to stay with the Lightning in in that current role, which is senior advisor. But he's also left the door open for him to go do something else or just step away from hockey. He. he that's not out of the question for him. But the only reason he's staying this season is strictly because his contract. So he's committed to us this season. Beyond that, well, we'll see. I would hate to, I would hate to see him go to Detroit, but the links are there. The speculation is going to go crazy, especially once the season ends. But if we, if we do end up winning the Cup, everyone's going to know this was Eiserman's team top to bottom. It wasn't Breezeball's. Even though Breezeball does have his fingerprints on it, you know, through certain contracts and stuff like that, and, and if anyone thinks that Breezeball hasn't been involved, they're, they're kidding themselves. Breezeball has been hugely involved in every move that we've done. It's just Eisman was the one who set all of this up, so he will get the credit if we do end up winning the Cup. Are there reservations about Breezeball taking over, or is it kind of, this is a Eisman guy, we feel confident with him. It's basically continuation of the status quo, just under a different name. It's a continuation of the status quo under a different name. Breezeball's been here since the beginning with Iserman. Um, and he's been, he's been linked over the last few seasons, uh, sorry, the last few off-seasons as one of the hottest GM candidates. Um, a part of this, now this right here, what I'm about to say is my own personal feeling from just feeling out the situation and how everything else is. I feel like this is a twofold thing, partly Iserman wanting to step down and partly uh, Benick and Iserman not wanting to lose Breezewall to another team. Because I really felt like this was the offseason where we were going to lose Breezewall, uh, just due to how hot of a commodity he was, how well he's managed our minor league affiliate. So this kind of feels like a mix of both Iserman and us not wanting to lose Breezewall. But Breezewall even said at the press conference, it's the same exact plan we had for the past eight years. Steve and I are on the same page. We're going to continue that. The only thing that's going to change is our roles. So we'll see how that goes this season. He's already made its first quarter I mean to some people quote unquote big move to me I don't think it's that big a move it's just more of like a oh okay type move when it comes to the Jake Dodson situation that happened a few days ago but I the people who are blowing that up I'm just like it's not that big of a deal he's a he was a number eight seven guy on the roster it's not going to be the end of the world if we lose Jake Dodson and no one even claimed him on waivers yeah no one even claimed him on waivers that should tell you enough would you were you sad when you realized what was given up for Carlson, knowing that you easily could beat any of those oh. offers. Oh my God! You fucking kidding me? Yeah. Well, no, I'm not. I'm asking you the question I seriously. I saw that return. I saw that return, and I was like, "Dude, we paid more for McDonough than that." You did. You absolutely did. And then you signed him, which is the the last thing the Eiserman would ever do for you. Him. Yeah. Like, I'm like, that's what get, that that's what got Eric Carlson, and that to me is just another strike on Ottawa's absolutely fucking ridiculous, just dumb. Well, it just makes me wonder what was in the packages when the rumors were around the first time. Because the rumors were central around you guys. There was there was no one else, really. Yeah. I mean, the Sharks were well, in there. Vegas. The Shark was in there, Vegas. Vegas. Uh, but those were the big three. It was it was Tampa, the Sharks, and Vegas. But what what did you offer that they didn't say yes to three months ago? Oh, I know. 
I, I can I just want that to come out Tampa, so bad. Tampa is notorious. Tampa is notorious for not letting anything of like major details leak. Aside from you know just interested in this player. Aside from that, it's pure speculation on our end. Um, but it had to have been at least minimum what we uh, what we offered for uh, McDonough. And, and the fact is, that, like Dorian came out. Dorian came out and said, you know, back in February we decided to, to do this rebuild. I'm like, then why didn't you trade Carlson at the trade deadline when he had the highest value you've got? Oh god. Well, they're miserable. I, I'm assuming you oh. watched the seven minute sit down video. I, I I got through it. I, I cringed the entire time. Same. It was. And I, I, I had I. I had to watch it a second time to kind of gauge what was actually being said. Cause the first time I was just sitting there just shaking my head going, what the hell are you two doing? Uh, it was one like whoever their PR team is like immediately get fired because I just don't understand how you're, you're taking the owner. You're sitting down with a fringe third line defenseman and you're saying, Hey, what's the feel in the locker room? You know, well, we're going to be building, rebuilding over the couple of years. By the way, we're going to trade people this next two weeks. Uh, it's, it's very, I, truly I awful. I, I, I feel the bad for the, the fans of Ottawa. How, how does Matthew Shane have to feel in this situation when he says out of Colorado, I want to go to a playoff team, goes to Ottawa, they flame out, and now they trade, they trade their best. They trade arguably the best player they've ever had in franchise history. Not arguably. I mean, how do you think, how do you think Colorado feels? They just got Jack Hughes. They're feeling fucking great. Yeah. Oh, man. Colorado's like, whoa, we got two first-round picks. Got to have a shot at Jack Hughes? Yeah. Don't have to do anything? Don't have to do anything. Oh, and we're a playoff team? Wow, great. Uh, I think the thing that highlights the entire Carlson trade and just how poorly run the Senators are is the it it's what I think everyone is known or is calling the Matt Hoffman condition. You can't trade Carlson to a Eastern Conference team, otherwise the oh, Senators yeah. get another first round I pick. Even, I didn't even get to the stipulations because the stipulations were so damn absurd. <laughs> basically, yeah. the, 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 the conditions are, are literally just don't trade into the East. <laughs> I, I honestly think not like San Jose is going to do that. No. With that condition being in the trade, I don't think the I don't think the Lightning ever had a shot at getting him. I think the with, Lightning with probably offered the best package. I, I, I but they never wanted to trade him in the East. I agree, especially after I, I think that's more of a Hoffman thing. That's so dumb, though. Like Ottawa just being an ass. Why are you worried about trading in the East? Worry it's about the best Ottawa. return. It makes me. It's Ottawa. Want to die? Oh, yeah, that's true. It's uh, Ottawa. Just two words. It's Ottawa. That's all you need to say. And people go, oh, okay. I mean, it's tough being a Ranger fan. You know, we've had it's, it's not really tough. We've made a we've made some Eastern Conference Finals. We won at least at ninety four, which is nice. But like Ottawa, you're like you have no hope there. Your all your hope is gone, and it, it it was gone in the Game Seven versus somehow you got there. Game Seven versus Pittsburgh. That was the last time you'll be relevant for how many years? I can't even imagine. They, they, they 10, get lucky. 15, they 20? Get really lucky. Yeah, it's going to be a long bit rebuild there. I'm sorry, guys. And you, and, you, and you know what's more strange about the Senators is, like, during the early 2000s and mid-2000s, like before 2009, 2010, the Senators were actually, like, they were, they were kind of viewed as this savvy team that made smart decisions, didn't break the bank, and they had good hockey teams. That's what they were for the early parts of the 2000s and mid-2000s. And then they dropped Eric Carlson, probably one of their best drafters they ever made, and then they start doing odd things that make you go, what the hell are you doing? Like, I don't know what happened to this team over the past like 10 years, but it's been absolutely baffling. Sometimes you go a little insane as you get older. That's probably part of it. Or, uh, or you just have an owner that just likes to put his foot in his mouth that, every single day. Yeah, that's where I was headed. Um, are you? Would you expect maybe Iserman to go to Seattle at all, or is Detroit the only place you think he'd be? 
I don't know why people were linking him to Seattle when he just said that family and travel was being a problem for him. Why the hell would he go to the other side? I, I, I agree with you. I just wanted to get your take because uh, I in, with a quick Google search, I noticed that there was a lot of, could he go to Seattle? And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would he do that? He just talked about his family. That's just, that's just speculation. And like I said, from what he said at the press conference and what he said to all the media there at one-on-one interviews, it, it's, it's, it's about his family. He's getting older. He's getting tired of the travel. And so if he does take another GM job, the most likely thing is Detroit. It makes sense. I don't want it to happen because that's just, you know, it's Detroit. Detroit and Tampa don't like each other. Um, but, if we're, but if I'm being rational and I'm being logical, if he's going to take another GM job, Detroit makes the most sense, especially once Holland's contract expires, which I, I believe expires after this coming season, the season after, I don't remember, but it expires relatively shortly. So it would make sense for Detroit to do their due diligence and make a pitch on it. And I, I, you know, this is something that I saw when I was at the press conference where um, a certain reporter um, that I'm not going to name right now mm-hmm. um, was in contact with another reporter up in Detroit. And that reporter contacted Detroit's head office. And Detroit's head office had no clue this happened. Absolutely no Whoa. clue. This, and that, and that, that, that's why I believe people like throughout the entire media who say that this was caught them all off guard. No shit. It caught everybody off guard. Everybody. My my only other real question about this situation, Matt, is that why wouldn't he wait till the end of the year to do this? Um. So we this question was brought up during the press conference, and Eiserman said he took the off season to mull about it, and then once he came to a decision, he didn't want to wait the entire year because um at that point he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to agree to a new contract at that time, and he didn't want it to hang over the organization. So he he and Jeff Finnick felt it was best to come out with it now and just get it over with. And the fact that it was two days before camp when the announcement came had no, re- had no bearing on the entire situation. It just, that's when it happened. That's when Steve made his decision and giving Steve's history of how he speaks to the media and how he gives his information out. I, I believe that anyone who doesn't believe that I think he's just digging for something because you, you know how people are. They always want to think there's some sort of ulterior, uh, ulterior motive. And with Irishman, I don't think there is, I think it is his family. Um, but that Detroit GM job, it's right there. It does make sense. If it happens, I wouldn't be surprised. I just hope it doesn't happen because, well, I don't care for Detroit. But just to recap, you are uh, you feel safe in in the hands of next guy up. Yeah, Breezewall is a Eisner man through and through. Uh, he's had his hands in all these contract discussions. He's been here for eight years. He's again, he's been one of the hottest um, GM uh, possibilities for the past three, four years now. So. Until he does something absolutely horrid, he I, he has my uh, he has my full faith in him. Awesome. Well, I, I know you're in a rush here, so we wanted to just get you on real quick to talk about this whole situation because it blindsided absolutely everyone. Uh, and yeah, I uh, I think if if Gordon quit tomorrow, I would be like, what? I don't. I think we'd have like six podcasts in a row about it because it would be all we talk about. There, it would it you, would you'd devastate. Have, me. You'd have an entire you'd have a live stream podcast to get your live like emotion emotional like yeah. freak out well you it. actually it's funny you mentioned that though the time we did that was with you so you were uh you were there for no, our, okay, our freak out right. so there's a nice callback that was the time we did it. it was it was it was pretty much live and you were there um so okay, that, was, that was a few months ago <laughs> it, it was a good time uh but do we appreciate you coming on we'll have you back on during the season talk more uh tampa bay lightning definitely boys thanks for having me wait plug your stuff oh that's right i almost forgot I i'm out of practice man i'm, I'm trying I'm to help you I'm trying to help you out it's been crazy um, I'm Matt Estevez. I am a writer and a senior staff member at Raw Charge. 
You can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Matt Estevez, spelled E-S-T-E-V-E-S at 89. I am also the host of Raw Charges podcast, which is called Charged Up. Charged Up. I've had these wonderful gentlemen on my podcast, Bill Banter, about hockey. It was quite fun. Uh, and I'm also the credential reporter for the blog, so I'll be at all the home games this season covering the Lightning. Awesome, man. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm always down to, to bullshit about hockey or video games or guitar or music or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, right. man. All right, dude. We'll talk to you soon. Peace out. Enjoy class. Thanks, guys. Peace. All right, we're back with our Metro preview. We have Ryan. Now, I, you're, it says real here, but it's real, right? That's right, yeah. Okay, you're right for yeah. the Canon SB Nation for the uh, famous Columbus Blue Jackets. The world famous Columbus Blue Jackets. That's correct. That's I, right. Does how often do people say to you, "Dude, are you keeping it real?" Oh my god! Yeah, that's what I thought. Nonstop, okay. every day of my life. Yeah, that's what I thought. All right, cool. Let's get that out of the way. Uh, today we're going to be doing a little bit of Metro preview. We've been doing here, uh, kind of getting ready to see what the Rangers are going to be facing this year uh, while they sit in second to last place uh, on top of the Islanders. But your team is especially interesting to us because you may have heard, and we may have broke the news mm-hmm. in this podcast, not to take credit or anything, but. Uh, there's a couple rumors about your star player possibly leaving this year. What have you heard about that of recent? I assume you're talking about Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, no. <laughs> no, no, I'm no, no. Uh, although that that's the big training camp is Bobrovsky and Panarin, but obviously Panarin uh, because he is um, incredible. Obviously one of the best wings. It, it sounds like the Rangers, um, Rangers and Panthers are, you know, and then you throw in Dallas and the other big cities. But um, yeah, it, it's, you know, they reported to camp and he's keeping it loose. And, you know, I don't want to sign. I don't want to sign in Columbus, but, you know, I'm having fun. I'm here. So, I mean, it, it's odds are on the Rangers. Um, and, and it's kind of a everybody's sort of like, what will they get for Panarin um, if they were to trade him and from whom and what would another team give up? And it, it's kind of like nobody really has anything especially after the, the Carlson deal, right? Everybody saw the, the Eric Carlson deal and was like, well, if that's what the going rate is for Eric Carlson, there, there can't be a huge impetus to get Panarin out of town if, if that's what's coming back, you know? Um, and so... I, yeah, I, I, that's, I know- that's the other part of the whole thing, right? There hasn't really been a trade of any star player that has netted any team anything to really write home about. Maybe Pacioretty, I guess you're excited yeah. about Nick Duki and the first round pick, but he, it's not even a first round pick, second round pick. But even then, nothing to blow your socks off. Uh, before we get too into the yeah the gritty of let, let's talk, let's really get in there about Panarin. We've had Portsline kind of get into the nitty gritty with us, but we haven't had like a true fan reaction to what they want mm-hmm. with Panarin. Mm-hmm. What as as a Blue Jackets fan who also writes about the team, where is your mindset on the whole Panarin situation? How are you feeling about it? I think this summer. Like right now, it is exhausting, and it's just been like nothing has happened this summer good for the Blue Jackets. I mean, a few depth signings that people are excited about because it's training camp, and that's what you do. But um, it's like the biggest saga over the summer was Bobrovsky saying, "Mm, not ready to sign. We're pretty far apart on a deal. You know, I don't want to talk about it. And Artemi Panarin. So you have two of, you know, your four best players, inarguably the two best, yeah. saying, we're not sure about this. And and guys, coming from Columbus, 
it's not a free agent destination. Uh, when Nathan Horton signed, it was the biggest deal in the world because a, a premier free agent actually decided to come to Columbus. I mean, you have Jeff Carter wanting out, Rick Nash wanting out. You have a, a long list of people who have made it known Columbus is not the place to be. So finally, you know, Bobrovsky's been here for six years and things are going great. And they got Panarin in this deal and he set the franchise record in points and everything is going great. And then over the summer, it's kind of like, well, shit, maybe not. Um, and so it, it, having nothing else this summer to talk about and just, watch Panarin on Instagram and hearing all the smoke signals and Willie Wolney. It's just exhausting, you know? And so that's kind of, I think where everybody is. And now he's hurt. He's got a neck strain. He's not doing anything in camp. Um, it's kind of just like, all right, we're here. We're kind of resigned to this. We've seen this kind of song and dance with premier players who just don't want to stay in Columbus for whatever reason. And so that's, that's, <laughs> and, and it kind of sucks, right? Because the Jackets, this is the best team they've ever iced. No question. Um, you know, they had a great season last year and the, you know, they didn't lose anybody. Um, I know we'll talk about that later, but you know, the young guys, one of the youngest teams in the NHL got older, got another year of experience. You have two of the best defensemen, one of the best goalies, one of the best forwards. And this is the story. This is the messy training camp drama. So from a fan perspective, that's kind of where I'm in Panarin. Obviously I would love for him to come back. Um, and sign. And, and I think there's kind of a funny, um, it's ports line. You mentioned him kind of hinted at it in an article and the fans are kind of hoping to like, they'll just get back in the lock in the dressing room and, and the locker room culture. And, and, you know, they'll start winning some games and it's almost like the beginning of D2 mighty ducks where they get the band back together and everybody's having fun. You're like, Oh yeah, this is fun again. Um, I don't see that happening, but there's kind of like, that's like the last hope to cling to right now. Um, Cause it doesn't look like it's going to happen. How That's is the it? other thing. Uh, we we talked about. We sorry not to cut you off, other okay. Ryan. Uh, we've talked. Keep it real. We've talked so much about uh, the Blue Jackets possibly having to trade Panarin that I feel like a lot of people have forgotten that the Blue Jackets are really fucking good. Yeah. Why would a team as good as the Blue Jackets want to trade their best player because that that player could help them go on a Stanley Cup run? Well, and that's what you were talking about this a couple weeks ago, uh, one of the other previews where you, Greg, didn't think that they were going to trade Panarin. I know that was before training camp and into the summer, but um, yeah, and it looks like he he set this artificial deadline for September 13th. That's when I want a deal done if there's going to be one. Um, and Kekalainen was like, you know, basically, you know, GFY. And so now we're in training camp and that's kind of the prevailing wisdom. You have these players under contract. Pale Dragon, uh, my esteemed colleague. Mr. Dragon. Uh, Mr. Dragon wrote a great article the other day about, you know, letting contracts play out. And in sports, you know, contracts are never intended to be seen all the way through. Right. And so, you know, he's like, well, you know, you have this team, you have these players, they are under contract. Um, you have them. But I think recency by, well, obviously it's, it's never good to lose somebody, but with the whole Tavares thing and watching that play out as it did, it's like, kind of like, God, that's the last thing anybody wants, especially with two premier players. So, I mean, obviously, if you'd rather get something rather than nothing, but play this out. I mean, what happens if the Jackets are in first place or battling for a spot in March and that's when they're going to deal? You know, it, it's like there's no good solution here. And so it's kind of like, yeah, go for it. I think that's the that's my take on it at this point, um, especially, like I said, after seeing those Carlson returns. Just just go for it. You know, I mean, this this franchise has been so garbage. They've never even won a playoff series. And and so you have this golden chance, and I get it. Like you want to restock the farm if you can. You want to do whatever you can do to win games down the road. But if if this is all you got, if you got one more year of Panera and one more 
year of Bob, who, by the way, has not won a playoff series and actually has been one of like the worst goaltenders in the playoffs since the Jackets entered the league. Um, just go for it. That's where I am with this. It just, and it's also not exactly a one-to-one to the Tavares situation, right? Because, again, the Blue Jackets are a legitimate Stanley Cup yeah, contender, right. where yeah. Islanders were already a train wreck who just happened to have John Tavares. Right. And then you get, you know, you let those two guys walk and you have 20 million in cap space. Not that you're going to replicate the production of either one of those. And not that there's that too many great free agents out there next year. But, Everyone keeps getting know, signed. Is, Everyone is just signed. Yeah. Yeah. Really, so. it's going to be Panarin and Carlson if he makes it. Right. Uh, those would be the big two. How is Torts handling all this? What's What's he been up to with the media? Torts is Torts. Um, That's probably all you need to say, but I want you to expand yeah. on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and he's very much, you know, I can't control those guys. And I think this management group has been in place together with John Davidson and, you know, Jarmok Ekalainen and John Tortorella. They all just signed extensions uh, as recently as a couple weeks ago. They've been together for years. And so I think they trust one another. And Torts has very much let the management manage. And, you know, he's got Panera in the locker room. He's got Bob. Um so he's he's excited about you know the guys that are here. Last year there was Josh Anderson holding or not holding out, but he hadn't signed his RFA deal yet. Um, there were injuries with Dubinsky and Boone's always hurt, and so this year there are no injuries. Everybody's kind of excited except for Panarin, and then this happens. So I think um, Torts is, is candid, but he's going to let play out. And obvious, I mean, if he having Panarin and Bobrovsky try to, to, to trot him out there on the ice, I mean, I don't think he's complaining right now. Um, there's right now that the big thing in the in the jackets meta is is distraction. How much are they going to be asked about this? What happens if the team starts struggling and they're facing all these questions? How how much are these contract talks going to loom over the rest of the year? That's kind of where everybody's at right now. Um, and I mean, you know, the preseason's just starting, so who the hell knows? But that that's that's. And I was thinking earlier when you're talking about torts, I was like, man, the Rangers and the Jackets have a lot of like John Davis and John Tortorella, obviously Rick Nash, man, Gabrick, all these. Anisimov, yeah, we have these Vinsky, weird like, brotherly <laughs> kind of ties. Yeah. Yet we're um, also rivals. It's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. It feels um, like we're really friendly with Tampa Bay and you guys. Like those, those you guys are like our best friends. Yeah, it's not like there's you know the Nash. Bobrovsky stuff years ago um that was kind of like a little bit of bad blood but there weren't any stakes involved really and uh, it's not like Pittsburgh where the Jackets hate Pittsburgh Pick- Pittsburgh doesn't care and now the Jackets have reason to hate Washington because you know two straight first round exits but yep. yeah the, the Rangers it's always like kind of fun I love hearing Sam Rosen I love you know it's it's fun when the Rangers get uh, to Sam Rosen is a great guy he all, it, it is all it is funny guys. how much the Blue Jackets fans still hate Rick Nash that trade yeah that's, the funny thing about that trade is if you're a Ranger fan, best part of that trade is the third round pick. It turned into Pavel Buchnevich. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best part. Yeah. And there's no way you could predict that. And, you were- and that trade worked out for, I mean, hell, Dubinsky. I mean, that trade worked out. I loved Anisimov and Dubinsky. And, you know, um, th- that was a good, that was a good trade. It worked out. It really did. It's that like Rick Nash brought us a championship or anything. So no big deal. Uh, no one, no one also talks about the Derek Brassard trade. The, the Rangers and Blue Jays yeah. have done a shit. Yes, yes. I and I loved Marion Gabrick too. The Jackets couldn't find a use for him, but that was, you know, a big deal for me. Um, they, the the Rangers fixed Anton Strawman because um, he like had those lung problems when he was in Columbus, and they literally couldn't figure it out. And then he went to New York, which had like real doctors. Yeah, but we didn't really like him. his personality and his attitude, so yeah. we let <laughs> yeah. we let his bum ass go to Tampa. <laughs> And he didn't do anything there, so that's no. It's, he's pretty shitty, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, you guys had Fedor Tutin, who was low key one of my favorite Rangers, and then they just all of a sudden disappeared. The Blue Jackets. They just. I mean, he's he's still on payroll for the buyout, but they just announced that he's a scout now. So he's the jacket 
in the staff now. It just happened. Huh. So, okay. Yeah. Breaking news. Yeah, two today. <laughs> yeah so, big two today. Uh, we usually ask this question. Who is a guy in the offseason you would have liked to have here on your team that you didn't sign? So I don't I don't think there's really somebody because again, Jacketsman, you know you're not gonna get the big names. Yep. And so it was gonna be depth signings um for a number of reasons, cap space, um desire to play in Columbus and the, and the roster is also like a, a like I said a pretty solid roster um a lot of people are looking at Austin Sarnik from Boston they ended up getting Riley Nash so you know fine there uh, my answer for this was going to be and I'm not kidding Rick Nash um Ooh. because you know I'm I love Nash and I I've forgiven him for whatever perceived you know agree- grievances he's had um the parent apparently the, the relationship's still really good between Nash and Columbus and the organization they met. He's just not sure if he wants to play hockey and they don't really have a spot for him, but I'm a, I'm a softy. And so I think it would be really cool if he were able to retire a jacket or, or however want, you know, I mean, obviously you're not signing him to like a five, five contract right now. So um, that's really, there weren't a whole lot of guys. They went out and got, they, the jackets really didn't do anything. They re-signed Boone Jenner. They re-signed Oliver Bjorkstrand. They got Anthony Duclair off the, off the trash heap hey. and Riley, Riley Nash. And that was it. Yeah. Another, yeah. Another yeah, we're, we're big Duclair guys here. Too. Yeah. Um, so that was really it. And it wasn't a summer where the jackets really needed to go out and find somebody. I remember in free agency it was kind of like, same as the trade deadline where it was kind of like, mm, that's it. That's all they're going to do. But um, it, there wasn't anybody out there that was like, man, the Jackets missed out on that. Or, I'm really bummed about that. I will say the guy I've brought up a couple times on this podcast as I mean, free agency is a mess. Just look at everything the Canucks do in terms of <laughs> term and dollar you amounts. You could literally could have stopped it. Look at everything the Canucks do. <laughs> the fact that Riley Nash got less than three million a year in only two years kind of blows my mind. He's sneaky good. Yeah. And that's the biggest like. The word I, I think his official name right now is underrated Riley Nash or the right you know the the everybody loves the Nash signing um, especially because the Jackets do not have center depth that's been a big problem especially with Dubinsky falling off a cliff so getting a, a bottom six right now maybe uh, maybe you can move up center um, was huge for the Jackets especially at that that term and and that's one of the that you asked about Tortorella that has been one of Tortorella's biggest. Um, that's a drum he keeps beating. That's one has been one of his favorite moves that the Jackets have done. Is he loves Riley Nash? He's so excited to have him on board. Um, the the Nash like that's the one everybody kind of expects to to pay off. Um, people are really excited about Riley Nash. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big big Riley Nash guy for reasons I can't really explain. I just thought when I saw that contra- contract come out, considering the type of player he is, I just that that's a good piece of work right there by the Blue Jackets. Is there? The, the next question we usually ask after, is there a move that you're disappointed to make? The player on the Blue Jackets roster that you think gets overlooked by opposing fans the most is who? I think it's going to be – I think it's Oliver Bjorkstrand. I don't think people um, – he's not – he was sneaky good for the Jackets last year. I mean, he, he's, he's like poised to have that breakthrough top six. Um, I don't know how many people really know about Oliver Bjorkstrand, but he, he is going to be good. He is good. Um, Already, he was like one of the top, Jackets' top, you know, top uh, forwards, and so I think that's that's a guy who you don't see him like, you know, really have huge games, but he's just consistent. And uh, everybody's expecting him to blow up this year because he just signed the, the new deal and his RFA. And um, people are really excited for Oliver Borkstrand. Also, I got to plug that's one of Pale Dragon's favorite players on on the planet, and so um, that's the one I think that a lot of people may not know outside of this organization, but. Uh, that he's he's gonna he's gonna do some stuff. 
can you Love. rank the metro for me? Um, where, and where you think you'll land? So okay, so I am not as hot on Washington as everybody else's. Um, um, the Jackets had him on the ropes, and we let him off the hook. But yeah, spicy. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm curious as to how Todd Reardon's going to work out. Like Trotz is a really good coach, and I know that everybody was kind of done with that relationship. Um, I know you know Reardon's been with the team for a long time. I'm just not sure, and they might have the Stanley Cup hangover. Um, I I you know Pittsburgh's up there. Pittsburgh's number one. That's I think we can all agree on that. I I don't think Washington or one and two if we're talking about Washington. Um, the Jackets. Everybody's expecting big things. Obviously, it's as far as Panarin and Bobrowski take them. I, I, I think one, two, three, in any order, Pittsburgh, Washington, Columbus. Again, I'm not so hot on Washington. The Flyers just – the Flyers always have something going on, um, as far as I can tell. Like, they just never seem complete. I don't know how – they're, they're good, obviously. Um, They've Yaga, never had a goalie in their history of and the And that's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. You look at that goal team, you know, Brian Elliott, and they brought in Mrazek, and I just – I don't know um, – and also, like from a Jackets fan perspective, I'm a little jealous because everybody's like Provorov, and I'm like over here, like, "Hey, Wierenski. And I know Wierenski gets lauded. I was just watching, I think, a, a Flyers game maybe last year, and they were comparing the two. And I know that's easy to do, and that's what you're supposed to do. But I got like a little jealous and a little defensive of my like you know young defenseman. <laughs> um, and then I don't. Carolina can never put it together. Talking about bad goaltending, and you know they just sold off Jeff Skinner. Dougie Hamilton's good, but I don't. I don't think that's going to be there. And then. Um, Rangers Islanders. I like do I I do like what the Rangers. Everybody's kind of said it, but I do like the Rangers are just like yeah no we're gonna suck we're gonna rebuild. Here's our plan. We're not hiding it, and this is what's gonna happen. I think that's a cool way to go about it. Um, I think just they just of, they just saw the 76ers and they're like what they just sucked for three years. <laughs> you and can now, do that, and now they're gonna be good for ten. Wow. <laughs> you can and you can just get the whole city to buy into it. Just that was the best part is like buying into the sucking and and being fine with it and cheering it and and then well, it turns was, it's a different kind of fun you're rooting for this young blood and development so you're fine with losing as long as the kids develop like and you're and you're not pretending that like the canucks you know like oh yeah we're gonna be we're this we're a couple pieces away and like the fans don't buy that don't don't bullshit you know yeah we're not fans. a couple pieces away i've yeah I've, we we, we've spent years watching this defense. We know we're not. <laughs> yeah, we did. We're about uh, we're about five good defensemen away. I, I will say, as uh, as a podcast that brings on someone to talk about the Devils quite often on this podcast, phenomenal job okay. by you. To I completely forgot the Devils. I forgot the Devils. Well, I didn't forget the Devils, but they're they, they're they're a little bit lower than the Flyers for me. I just jumped straight to the bottom. On the other hand, sorry. Yeah, I, I you know everybody kind of expects regression from the Devils uh, with good reason. Um, yeah, I, I think everything went right for the Devils last year. And that's not to say that it can't happen again. It's just like irresponsible to expect it to happen again. Yeah, exactly. And and the Jackets and the Devils always combine for the most boring games in the world to me. I just – I can never remember – like I know the Panarin game last year, but um, the Devils and Jackets games are just never fun to watch. It's never like the Rangers or the, the – even the Flyers. Um, it's, it's one of those games where it's like it's on the schedule. It's a division game, yeah, but it's like, all right, this is – it's the Devils again. I feel that way about Carolina with us. Yeah. We just play Carolina. We just kick their ass no matter how good they are. And then it's like, oh, cool. We won 6-1. That's, <laughs> that's, every, Carol- <laughs> that's every Carolina experience. The game is boring. We win 6-1. It's, it's- Ryan, I got two more Panarin-related questions yeah. for you before we let you go. Sounds good. Uh, Hit me with a Greg. The- <laughs> uh, better, better, Ryan. I have two more oh, Panarin-related sorry. questions for you. 
Uh, first, if you could only choose one, do you go long-term with Panarin or do you go long-term with Bobrovsky? Panarin. Um, because Bobrovsky's playoff struggles, um, that, that's, that's it. I mean, Bobrov- there's, so there's, there's been a growing uh, movement among the fan base to get rid of Bob while he still has value. Um, because he, it, last year was going to be the year in you know, the, the second to last year of his contract, right before that summer, before his final year, where he was going to prove himself on the playoffs. They're finally going to see what he could do. Um, and, he, and he was better, but he was still pretty bad. And, um, and so, and then on the, on the flip side, you were able to see Grubauer kind of fall apart in those first couple games and they put in Holpe and that was, that was it. That's all she wrote. So you can really see, not that the you know, Jackets needed to know that after watching Matt Murray and uh, Mark andre Fleury, but what a good goalie could do in the playoffs and how that could totally change the tenor of a series. And the Jackets don't have a backup like that. Um, and so that's, that's it. I mean, Panarin, Bob is one of the best three goalies on the planet. Um, arguably, I mean, regular season, the best. He's got two Vaznas, but he cannot put it together when, when it matters. And he's starting to show, the cracks are starting to show. Um, in the first, you know, in media day at training camp, he was very brusque and very un-Bob-like um, and kind of like management knows where I stand. And after the meltdown, not the meltdown, but after he didn't play well against Chicago, it was, I don't need a sports psychologist, I'm fine. And nobody's like, dude, nobody's even talking about that. Like, where are you, where are you getting that from? And so... There was a thing in, in training camp, the media day, where he's like, I don't care what anybody else says. I have my my coaches. And by that, he meant like his personal coaches and his like own staff. That's what I care about. And so it was just very unbob-like. And so it seems like the worm's kind of turning on this. Um, and all that aside, I would still, if everything else, all things being equal, is just Panarin. The Jackets have never had a, a four like Panarin, even in the Rick Nash days. I mean, Panarin scored 82 points last year, which is a franchise record. And um, I know Giroux, you know, breaks 100 and everything. But, like, for the Jackets, that's a huge deal to have that kind of, like, creative flair on offense. And um, and you can, you know, you need you need a good goalie. And everybody loves Bob and everybody wants the best for Bob. But they've never made it out of the first round. As good as he is, they've never made it out of the first round. And that you're asking me right now in 2018, who am I, gonna, who am I taking? I'm taking Panarin. Yeah, I would have said after the Capitals, if there's a team who gets fucked more by the current NHL playoff structure, it's probably the Blue Jackets. Because every every year they have to open against the Penguins at the Capitals. And they tanked last year. They tanked in the last game of the season. They iced like an AHL lineup in that la- in the last game against the Predators to lose and avoid playing Pittsburgh and get the wild card. And um that was insane to me, and that's what happens. But, yes, it, you know, the Jackets played for years in the Central and we just got beat up by those Detroit teams and those Chicago teams, and then they finally got to move to the East, and it's like, oh, yeah, here's, you know, the Metro, the ascendancy of the Metro where you get Ovechkin and Crosby and Malkin, and um, have fun with that. And, and, and everybody said it on this podcast, but the Metro really has, like, all those teams got better. Like, where the hell was New Jersey? Where did that come from? The Flyers, like, it's this meat grinder of a division and there's no, you know, yeah. As, as the jackets finally had the best team they've ever had in this, you know, sad sack franchise history. And here's your reward, the best years of Crosby and, and Ovechkin. So, yeah, I can't stand the NHL playoff system. And I feel like the blue jackets are the team with the biggest gripe if they really wanted one. Uh, my final Panarin question for you. If there was an acceptable Artemi Panarin trade offer out there, what do you think it would look like? Oof. 
Hmm. Because I can. T- th- and this is this enough. is the thing. This is a thing, Ryan, and the the bad Ryan and I have talked about on this podcast a lot. If an acceptable trade offer is going to come in for Artemi Panarin, it will never come from the New York Rangers. So right. we're saying this that this offer is going to come from a team like the Lightning, or it would have been the Sharks yeah. before they traded for Carlson. Basically, a a playoff team who thinks we are a forward, a very good top line forward away from winning a Stanley Cup, we are willing to pay X to make this happen. What do you think the Blue Jackets ask for? So apparently all the trade offers so far for Panarin have been picks and prospects. So the the, the Jackets have got to be getting talent in return. Like I, n- Nobody's equaling that talent in that trade. The Jackets are not going to win the Panarin trade as I envision it. Yarmo is a very savvy negotiator. You look at the moves he's made. He turned... R.J. Umberger into Scott Hartnell. The, the Seth Jones, Ryan Johansson trade was he incredible. Took Sod in Brandon the Sod and, and sent Marco <laughs> Dano. The Jackets fans were so sad about Marco Dano, myself included. And now, you know, where's Marco Dano? Like that was a exactly. So I I have faith in your armor. I think you got I, you got to get Ford talent back, um, or, or some kind of if if you're looking at a team that needs Ford help, they they may have, um, you know, defensemen to give. The Jackets have Zach. Wierenski and Seth Jones on that pairing, that top line pairing, they could use some defensive depth, but I don't think maybe, maybe there, um, but th- there has to be NHL top six talent coming back in that deal. Um, there has to be. And um, that, that's, I, I mean, name wise, I'm not, I, I couldn't even begin to guess. Um, well, that's the thing. I, I can't think of a contender that would trade an NHL piece for Panarin. Exactly. And so that, that's why I'm a, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to happen because why would you do that when, you know, you may be able to just bid, to bid and get him for, for, for no, not give up nothing and, and just cap space. And so I, that, that's where I am with that. And it's watching this summer. I don't think anybody has really thought about that to a real extent. Cause it's kind of just been like watching this blimp fall out of the sky and it's like this summer it's like well you know he said he doesn't want to sign right now it doesn't want to sign okay maybe with columbus okay maybe you know that they, they can meet and and it's just kind of just been like the slow grief come to realize you know come to coming to grips with what's going to happen and so i don't think a lot of people have been like well what can they get for him and like this is what they can do because it's just been a summer of you know shit and so um i you know that's that said you know that that's what's now and then i like i said the carlson trade and there hasn't been a whole lot of big big deals like that especially when the jackets know they don't have leverage and and that's the other thing with the armo is like they don't have leverage in this um they're not going to win this so he's just like oh, just keep it just keep yeah. it i'm 100 a fan of the i i don't think you have to make every trade expecting to win the trade but I'm with you. I don't see a scenario where the Blue Jackets trade Panarin and they come close right. to winning the deal. And if that's the case, just run the clock out on it. Because if you run the clock out on Panarin, you're at least giving your team a chance to win the Stanley Cup this year. I don't see a scenario in which you trade Panarin, and that's still true. Yeah, agreed. I agreed. He's he's under contract. He's, and that's the, the official position of the Jackets. He's under contract. He's on our team. Let's play him. That's probably the best yeah. way to go. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on, man. Why don't you plug your stuff and we'll uh we'll, we'll send you out. 
Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, JacketsCanon.com. That's the Canon, the SB Nation blog. I'm at Twitter, Ryan Rial. Um, it's Ryan Mead, just to switch out the, the M and the D for R and L. Oh, so Ryan Mead, yeah, close. Yeah. Yep. Um, so Ryan Mead, right? No. Yeah, that's it's, yes, Mead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's um, the one. <laughs> so, no, that's us. Check us out, the Canon. Uh, we, we love we love the Rangers. Awesome. We'll, re- do, we'll retweet you guys tomorrow. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Peace out. Yep. We're back. Two wonderful interviews today. Yeah, keeping it real. I will say because uh, some when we had our investors meeting, we mentioned other people being on this podcast this week. Uh, Rebecca Russo of the Riveters will join us next week. She had a last minute scheduling conflict that came up. Um, she will be on the pod next week. Excited to talk to her. And we have a uh, member of the world champion Metropolitan Riveters <laughs> and also uh, hometown hometown kid. Right. Her and I will probably end up just talking about Westport, Connecticut I'll, more than anything I'll else. I'll sit here and look at the stars. Uh, and and a, a, uh, a guest who shall be named later, who you guys have heard on this podcast multiple times and probably credit for some of our better episodes, episodes yep. of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will make his return with us sometime this week to go over possibly just the absolutely phenomenal Rangers players PR packet. We, and all things we were going to record tonight, but Greg and I both had things come up, unfortunately. We, that, we had things, and we were also going to we were trying to record last week, and he had things come up. So that's, it, that's we're, real we're, life, everyone. With busy plans, right? That's, that's, that's real life. Really, but let's speak. Speaking of real life and hard realizations, Greg. Oh no! There is a man I want to talk to you about before we end the podcast, and that man's name is David Wright. Yeah. Uh, that he is uh, a man. It is over. He will play one more game, and he might pinch it. Is that is that correct? Yeah. The. Yeah, but he's only going to get one start, and the start is next Saturday, and I will I will be there. Of course, you will. Uh, I did not expect any any difference here. Uh, are, uh, were you Big Fred? Big Fred's flying up from Florida that day for the game. Yeah, the, the game, the tickets for that game are astronomically high. It was a good. I, I know it's it's good, and Wright wants to do this, but man, the Mets are going to make Buco's Dolores off that, uh, and they're going to they're also going to make bank leading up to Saturday because. Even if they don't pitch hit him, Mickey Calloway was at least smart enough to be like, he might. So now fans are going to gobble up tickets to maybe possibly see a David Wright pinch hitting appearance. Maybe. Uh, are you, Obviously, you're saying it's over. Are you surprised? It, it's, a, it's a weird mix of emotions, right? How many times on this podcast, and it's been multiple times, or how many times have you just heard me in person say, the only thing I – it, it goes back to Rick Nash. Yeah. The only thing I want David Wright to be able to do at this point in his life is – play with his kids and be a good father. I I've must have said that at least 10 times, either on this podcast or to you and in person. It's, it's more than that. But yeah, I, I, I always agree with you. I feel the same. Yeah. I, David Wright owes the New York Mets nothing. He gave me as a fan more than I could ever ask for from a franchise cornerstone player. Uh, and yes, obviously, at the end of the day, I wanted David Wright not just to play more games as a Met, but to have more years as a Met than this. But he owes me nothing. He gave everything he could and is one of the two best hitters to ever wear that uniform uh, without question. And in my opinion, the best to ever wear that uniform without question. At the same time, I'd be lying to you if I told you I wasn't surprised. Just because in my head, he went through so much rehab over the last two years to come back to only play one game I'm happy he's getting his day. Can you? I can't imagine doing that much work for anything, for, and at the end of the day, realizing 
There's, I can't fucking do this. There's just no way. He went through countless hours of rehab. There's so much behind the scene work you haven't seen that David Wright has done that he's been trying to do so he can play the game he loves again, and it's just not working. The back is, is the one thing that really kills careers other than feet. I, I honestly I think back is worse than feet because you can come back from feet and just be slower. Yeah. Back, you can't do it. If your back is well, out, football, that's it. I, I was talking other sports, but yes. Uh, baseball. Well, no, even, even like, like basketball – it's going to be painful and you're going to be slower, but we've seen people come back from, from Achilles injuries and foot injuries, and they're not ever 100%, but they, they're maybe 80%. With your back, you can't even get to 50%. If your back is done, you're done. I really think it's that simple. It's really, uh, it's really hard to imagine the pain that they're going through to try and play at that high level. It, it, and you know what? You, sometimes you forget how good athletes are. And how how incredibly talented they are at their sport because those guys who just are journeymen and are who are in the leagues, both the NHL, the NBA, and MLB, could smoke anyone on this earth at any any of those games by like a long shot. And yep. for David Wright to lose just that one step is all he needs to not be the elite player he was for years. It it, it is it's tough. Um, it it's weird because we've basically been living in a world where David Wright hasn't been a New York Met for two years. And yet I struggle and I have been struggling since the announcement was made to think of a New York Mets future without David Wright, because at least each of the last two years, I don't think anyone was truly expect. I, I guess maybe in 2016, we were expecting him to play. Uh, but this year, I, I, I don't think there was a single fan ever expecting David Wright to step onto the field. And yet there was always this looming, well, David could always come back kind of question out there or at least thought. And now that, that thought is a definitive, oh no, David Wright is done. I've, I will see David Wright wear a Met uniform for the last time as a player this year. And it, it's a shot to your system. Mike Piazza is like everybody's first favorite Met, right? But at the same time, you're a child when Mike Piazza comes to the Mets. I was nine years old. Mike Piazza stopped being Mike Piazza by the time David Wright was in the major leagues. And it was like the perfect passing of the torch because in 2004, when Wright makes his debut, Piazza's clearly on his last legs, clearly isn't a guy that shouldn't be catching every day anymore. The Mets are trying to figure out if he can play first base. They're trying to figure out what the future is going to be like with the Mets, without Piazza. And obviously Piazza only had one more year with the Mets when Wright came up. So there was like a natural transition and you knew that, all right, the baton is being handed. Uh, it's going to suck when Piazza's not here but he's a 35-plus-year-old catcher. You get it. And even then, uh, by 2004, I am now in high school. I'm, I'm starting to actually have serious thoughts about a baseball team. I think I think 04, 05 is even when I read Moneyball for the first time. So I'm starting to look at baseball in a completely different way. I'm starting to process the game in a different way. I'm starting to be a little bit smarter with my baseball takes more than just Mike Piazza is really good. He's better than anybody you have, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm starting to have actual conversations that I can defend opinions about prospects and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wright was the guy. I remember 2004 was my last year in summer camp, and Wright was called up while I was at camp, and I remember being pissed about it because uh, Ty Wigginton was the Mets' third baseman at the time. The Mets traded him to Pittsburgh. It's stupid that I remember this. The Mets traded Wigginton to Pittsburgh for Jeff Kepinger to make room for David Wright. This is dumb that you remember this, yes. But th- th- this is how serious I was about, like, 
David Wright and Jose Reyes were the first prospects I ever remember giving a fuck about. Um, and Reyes came up the year before and was electric immediately. Wright was 21 when he came up, was almost electric immediately. It's funny looking back on it because Wright's first hit and first home run, his first hit came against the Expos at Shea Stadium. His first home run came in Montreal. And it's, it's just funny to think about that. Like, that's how long Wright's been around at the same time. Uh, but, dude, he was special immediately. He he was so good out of the gate. Um, 2006, when the Mets were actually fucking fantastic, Wright was low-key the number two to Beltran's greatness that year. Uh, 2007, you and I have talked about this before. David Wright should have been MVP, but the Mets as a team collapsed, and nobody wanted to give the Mets any credit for anything at that point in time. I kind of get it. Uh, he was like an, I think it was like an 8.2 F war in 2007. Pretty good. He hit, he hit 325 with 30 homers, 30 stolen bases, gold glove defense. Uh, he was fantastic in 2007. And that's the other thing that people forget about David Wright. This is a guy, he was a legit 30-30 guy. He stole a ton of bases for the Mets in his prime. And was every year after Beltron um, was, well, Beltron was special in 06, but every year after 06, David Wright was the Mets' number one hitter, and there was no question about it. Uh, and he was that way throughout his entire career. And then injuries, everybody goes back to um, the game he literally broke his back against the Brewers when he tried to tag Carlos Lee out at third base. And I think that was in 2011. Feels and like David, an eternity ago. David Wright being the complete and utter fucking badass that he is, didn't even tell the – some of this is also on the Mets. Like, Lord knows the Mets have plenty of training staff problems. David Wright broke his back, and the Mets didn't know about it for a month. Yeah, that, played, that's probably an issue. Yeah, and he played through it. And everybody – I nobody knows for sure if that's where the onset of spinal stenosis truly started. But we all know that David Wright didn't have back problems before that moment. And he's had nothing but back problems since. Uh, look, at the end of the day, I, I know I'm going to cry like a baby on that Saturday. Thinking back on David Wright's career, I'm thrilled that not only did the Mets get him to a World Series, but Wright had success in that World Series. And it wasn't David Wright's fault that the Mets lost that World Series. Um, I, wish the, I obviously wish the Mets were better during David Wright's prime. They, they should have won the World Series in 2006. I'll go to my grave believing that. They should have at least made the playoffs in 2007. They should have probably made the playoffs in 2008. And then there was a very long period where the Mets were just ass after that. Wright was there since 2006 to today. Um, there have been intermediate periods of success, and both those periods of success coincide with David Wright being able to do special things. And I, as optimistic as I am for guys like Michael Conforto and Ahmed Rosario and Pete Alonzo and the pitching staff, uh, there's a different connection between Met fans and hitters. Met fans are almost conditioned at this point. I, throughout the entire Mets history, they've been able to do one thing really well, and that's Pitch. find and develop starting pitching. Yep. And so it, it, I, I, there, will be, there will come a time in my life where I'm able to reflect on stuff like, Holy shit, I've been able to watch R.A. Dickey. I've been able to watch Jacob DeGrom. I've been able to watch Noah Syndergaard. I've been able to watch, to a lesser extent, Pedro Martinez, Tom Glavin. Um, all these all these guys the Mets have had in the starting rotation, Johan Santana. Guys I've taken 
for granted because the Mets just always have pitching. Yep. What what the Mets don't have often and has been the case throughout their entire organizational history, it is hard for this team to find hitting for whatever reason. And David Wright was the most complete, dynamic, and talented hitter this organization has ever developed homegrown and has probably ever rostered. Because as great as Piazza was, um, he, he couldn't run to save his life. He didn't consistently hit 300, and you could only play him 140 times a year because he was a catcher. David Wright came every day, brought it every day. If the Mets were down to the ninth inning with the tying run on base and you wanted one guy to hit for you, it was always David Wright, and you always knew that he was going to do – he had the ability to do something special – at any point in time. Uh, and it, it's tough knowing that the Mets, it might be another 20 years until the Mets have that again. You could be as optimistic as you want about every Met prospect. Hard to find those players, man. It really it's is. It's impossible. David, David Wright, had David Wright stayed healthy for even two more years, he's a Hall of Famer. And as it is right now, it's a hell of an argument. Uh, I ha- I'm going to have a lot. I One day I will sit down. I've looked at it in the past. It, it 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 the the bar is high. If there's anything working in David Wright's favor, it's it's these things. It's he he's always been he's always been himself, and the media loves him. Uh, and he did it his entire career in New York for an organization that historically is bad. And David Wright, you could say he overcame the organization. You can say he changed how people talked about the Mets when he was at his best. Um, David Wright is going to get votes, and I don't think it would be the biggest. Uh, he would not be the worst Hall of Famer in the Hall of Fame. No, I, I, I don't. I don't know. I, you and I are like baseball historians, we are and I bit. think you and I take the Hall of Fame very seriously. I it's do. reasons why like that, that I'm actually angry. Some like Trevor Hoffman is in the Hall of Fame because I don't think sense. he's necessarily a Hall of Famer. Um, but I, I think you can make a good rational argument that David Wright is a Hall of Famer. And I, I don't think, I don't think I'm being a homer in saying that. At his peak, at his absolute peak, he was a top five player in baseball. And I think that was a great way to to send off David Wright. And I hope you uh, maybe you'll send a picture to our Instagram from the from the game. Well, um, I'll, I'll try and send it early because once the game starts, I'm like the phone's not coming out. Yeah, that makes sense. I, it, it's gonna be, it, it's gonna be. It's it, honestly, and I'm, I'm not saying this as. Uh, as like an exaggeration or anything, uh, that Saturday is going to be a tough day because it, it's literally, this is again, a guy that I have had in my life since I was 14, 13, 14 years old. Um, I'm 29 now. I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting any younger. A lot of things in my life has changed over the last 15, 16 years, but every year I've had David Wright. I've had the New York Mets and it's been a continuous thread. And the Mets have obviously been a big part of my life. Uh, the Mets have been a big part of my relationship with my dad. Uh, it, it's it that Saturday is going to be tough. Um, I'm I'm a big enjoy a beverage at a sporting event guy. I will probably not have a drop of alcohol that day. Yeah, it seems like it's a sacred day. Yeah, it it that 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 day there are going to be a lot of uh, grown men and women crying in City Field that day because that's how much David Wright meant to this organization. Um, and you know what? It won't be the last time I cry at City Field 
regarding David Wright because I I will be I will be there when they retire number five. And if the Mets don't retire number five, it'll be something I bitch about. They definitely you know, will. You on this podcast or wherever the hell I am for every day. He's one hundred percent. I will get retired. Yeah, it's just a matter of when, not if. Not even close. All right, man. Uh, thanks for everyone for listening this week. We'll be back next week where I want to talk to Greg about Mets prospects. Um, but I'm going to wait till next week because I don't want to take the, take the eulogy. Uh, and, of course, more Ranger news. We'll have actual hockey to talk about. Tune in next week. All of you guys follow us on Twitter at Blue Shirts Break. Bye-bye.